Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. Pamela Price's first few months as Alameda County District Attorney have been filled with controversy. Price Hanley won election last November on a platform of reforming the county's criminal justice system from the inside. She was elected just as voters in San Francisco backed Brooke Jenkins, a more moderate DA, after the recall of Chase Boudin, a progressive. Price said she wanted to reduce the number of people sent to jail and focus instead on rehabilitation for lower-level crimes. She also said she wanted to tackle the root causes of crime. The status quo is not working. It's time to fight for reform. We need bold changes to turn the wheels of justice in the right direction. At her swearing-in ceremony in January, Price said she was the first non-appointed, non-anointed district attorney in Alameda County in more than 80 years. Translation, few political outsiders have held that position. She was a rarity in a world where most district attorneys are, and have long been, white men. Not only is Price a black woman, she is a progressive. But overhauling a centuries-old criminal justice system rooted in mass incarceration is a gargantuan task. And not everybody has been on board with Price's plan. Some prosecutors in her department have left. Others have been placed on leave. And some have been openly skeptical about Price's approach, or perceived approach, to a couple of high-profile cases. There's been a palpable buzz in the community, amplified on social media sites like Nextdoor, that the situation in Alameda County is getting out of control. On Monday, nearly 100 demonstrators gathered on the steps of the Alameda County Courthouse to protest Price's approach and call for her ouster. Here to talk about Price's first few months in office is the Chronicle's criminal justice reporter, Joshua Sharp. He's written a piece for the Chronicle that looks at some of the changes that Price is trying to make and some of the challenges she's facing. Joshua Sharp, welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So for those listeners who don't know who Pamela Price is, give us give us a little background on her. Her her life story is compelling. She was born and raised in Ohio, grew up in foster care, spent time in juvenile halls as a kid, domestic violence survivor. Tell us about a little bit about who she is. Sure. She's got quite a long history of being an advocate for what what I've heard her call throwaway kids. She says, I used to be a throwaway kid. So that's part of what motivates her trying to remake this system of crime and punishment in Alameda County. And she's been lawyering for decades and decades. She started out doing criminal defense work in San Francisco, has been doing lots and lots of civil rights lawsuits since then, but now has taken on this new role for the first time as a prosecutor. Going back to her upbringing, she's also very resilient and smart. She's graduated Yale University, Berkeley Law School. When she came on the political scene here over the last few years, she's been a bit of an office shopper. She runs last year for a district attorney against Terry Wiley, a veteran prosecutor in Alameda County. She wins. I was at her inaugural ceremony where she said she has assembled a great team and promised, we are your Avengers. What's her general philosophy? Her general philosophy is that things in Alameda County, as far as crime and punishment and, you know, America in general, have not been done in the smartest way. She is a big believer in 
identifying the root causes of people's criminal behavior with the idea being that if you identify the root cause and actually help them to work through it, then that might be more likely to change behavior in the future than simply, you know, locking them up. I've heard her talk about, you know, the trauma that jail and prison inflict. So she wants to limit that, lean on probation. But I think one thing, obviously, that is yet to be seen is is how she will handle big cases that potentially could involve many, many years in prison for defendants. And a lot of people are wondering, you know, what is she going to do with sentencing enhancements, which certainly lengthen sentences. But so far, you know, her philosophy is basically that the justice system should not do great harm to the people who go through it, which she argues that it has in Alameda County, particularly for black and brown people. And she wants to correct that, but we're going to have to wait and see exactly how all of this plays out and how all of her policies take shape and change things. Following some of her early decisions in her first 100 days in office, some of which have been controversial. Let's drill down to a couple of these. Tell us about the memo where she sends her staff directing prosecutors to seek minimum prescribed sentences for people accused of crimes and to offer probation wherever possible. Explain a little bit about what enhancements are and and why prosecutors have typically used them and and what would happen if you eliminated them. Right. So there's a big debate among prosecutors and, you know, criminal justice reform advocates about sentence enhancements. And what a sentence enhancement is, is, you know, say you allegedly shoot someone. Well, you may be charged with hurting that person, you know, an assault, as well as an enhancement for using a gun in the commission of the crime. And the, the purpose of the enhancement is to add time to your sentence. Now, prosecutors also use them as bargaining chips, of course, you know, just as they may charge someone with murder when they think they're probably only going to end up with a manslaughter case in the end. A lot of this is about plea bargaining. The opponents of sentence enhancements will tell you that they are not productive because they say they're often applied in very, very serious cases, you know, murders, attempted murders, cases where people are going to be looking at significant jail time, no matter what. If you're convicted of murder, you're going to get a life sentence. And you in the state of California don't have a great chance of getting out. More and more lifers are getting released, but we still have over 70,000 people serving life in California. So the opponents of sentence enhancement say, look, we're already giving people sentences that amount to Life without parole make it very likely that they'll die in prison. Why do you need to continue piling these things on? It can lead to situations in their eyes of unjustly long sentences. In the same vein, Price has taken on California's voter-approved 1994 three-strikes law, which required sentences of 25 years to life for anybody convicted of a third felony after two serious or violent felonies. She's now requiring prosecutors to move to uh, dismiss those alleged prior strikes unless they are granted an exception by a supervisor. She is also prohibiting prosecutors from seeking the death penalty or life without the possibility of parole. Tell us a little bit about that and why that has sparked some controversy. These directives, you know, saying we're never going, we're not going to do the death penalty, we're not going to do life without parole even. The reason why I think that shocks a lot of people is that I think we as Americans, as just people, are 
programmed to, to have an idea of what should happen to someone when they commit a very, very serious crime. We learn from our media, from our laws, from our culture, even sometimes from our religions that prison is a part of that. Our society writ large sort of says, we kind of don't care what happens to you from now on. And it might be okay if you suffer. Pam Price is saying this is wrong because it eliminates the chance of a second chance, which she very much believes in second chances and believes that people can change and that people can reform if given the right opportunities, the right assistance. She, more so certainly than most other DAs, thinks that she has a role in helping the defendant reform. And that's that is a philosophically different position than prosecutors have traditionally have, and certainly in this country. Absolutely. You know, the death penalty has a long history in this country. Life without parole has kind of become the de facto death penalty in recent years as more and more people have started to have doubts about the death penalty. Life without parole has become more common. But as you know, Pam Price says, uh, you know, and, and her supporters, I was speaking with one of her supporters the other day who who used to be a lifer. He served 24 years in a murder case. And then because it happened that he was very, very young when he committed the crime, he was eligible for early release. But he did a lot of time with a lot of people who were serving life without parole. And the thing that he said that struck him was these people had no reason to hope. And when they had no reason to hope, they had no reason to change. And he isn't saying that none of them did. Many of them did change, he says. But taking away the possibility that you could ever, 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 no matter how long you live, get out and redeem yourself, he says, takes away the likelihood that you will redeem yourself. What are some of the high-profile cases that Price is contending with at the moment, and why are they controversial? Joshua Sharp will talk about that after a quick break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. I'm back with my guest, Joshua Sharp, the Chronicle's criminal justice reporter. He's written a story about Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price's first few months in office. Josh, let's talk about a case involving an Oakland man accused of killing three people, including a witness, in a criminal case. He was facing a potential 75 years to life in prison, but Price is offering something different. What's going on in that case? So the defendant you're talking about is Delonzo Logwood. He was charged with murder in three different homicides that each took place separately in 2008 when he was 18. He wasn't charged until, I believe, 2015, and the case has still been awaiting going to trial for these past years. What Pam Price did was offered him a plea deal that would entail him pleading no contest, which basically means I'm not going to argue with you about the evidence. I'm just going to take the punishment. So he pleaded no contest to manslaughter, one count of manslaughter, as opposed to you know three cases. And he would get a 15-year sentence, and he would have to apologize in court. And the other two homicide cases would be dropped. And the reason that Pam Price did this, we can sort of only speculate because she has not come out and said exactly 
Logwood's attorney says this case is extraordinarily weak, that this case against his client is based on the word of someone who was convicted of attempted murder. Co-defendant in one case has turned on Logwood and is saying he did these other crimes. Now, that alone, of course, is not enough for a conviction. You have to have corroborating evidence for a witness like that. Logwood's attorney says they don't have that. Now, I've talked to prosecutors who've worked on the case, and they say, we have plenty. But Pam Price says, I can't talk about this. I just can't speak about this case. Now, the only hint that I saw her offer recently was she put a video up on YouTube, and she briefly addressed that case and said she wanted people to keep in mind that it would have to be proven by a reasonable doubt. The case involving Delonzo Logwood and two other young men. I can't talk about the evidence in that case, but I want you to know that we have reviewed the case extensively to make sure that it can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what we are committed to do with every case. It is against a prosecutor's ethics to try a case in the public, as some reporters are demanding that I do. And that seemed to suggest that she had some doubt about the case about Logwood's guilt. Before we go into another case, this is a recurring issue with Price. She has not been, should we say she's not been accessible to the media or she's not talked about some of her philosophies behind some of these moves? Tell us a little bit about her media strategy or lack of it. Right. So this has definitely been an issue. I spoke with her former PR person who was working for her in the DA's office and worked on the campaign as well. He ended up resigning in early March because he had a difference of opinion from the DA about whether or how much they needed to respond to critical stories in the media or rumors going around on the street. The PR person who she hired, this guy, Ryan Lalande, he says that Price had some interactions, experiences with local media that turned her off badly at the start and made her more leery of, of dealing with media. Now, I'll say another thing is that I've heard from her transition team is that she has also been, as one might imagine, extraordinarily busy. One of the co-chairs of that transition team says that the transition team has decided it would be best sometime, it, it, that it would be best recently if she were not to go out because she's vulnerable to having her words taken out of context. So there's a lot of talk within her circle about what to say, what not to say. I've even heard from supporters of her that they are wondering or have been wondering why isn't she coming out and saying more. Now, recently, past few days, she started putting out statements, video statements online. That appears to be a new strategy. Even those videos, though, don't get into too terribly much detail. And she keeps saying, you know, I can't discuss open cases, you know. Yeah, those those videos are, are kind of lean. The case that a lot of people talk about and are concerned about is one that that really hit a lot of people. That's the case of Jasper Wu, a 23-month-old toddler from Fremont. He was killed by a stray bullet as his family was driving down 880 in the East Bay. What did Price do there or has sort of hinted at doing or is perceived as might be doing in that case that is controversial and, and is, has people sort of up in arms? She says basically that she hasn't done anything yet. There are three men who are charged in that case. It is a murder case as it stands now. Price says that she has not made a decision about what charges to proceed with. 
And I think that statement has been perceived by some as, oh, well, she might not proceed with it as a murder case. And I think that seems like a fair extrapolation for what she's saying, that it's possible that she may not. But she's also saying she's made no decisions, and she has not given any indication of how far along in the process she is of reviewing that case. But there's been so much sort of fear about what she will do in that case. A lot of people in the community very much feel that this should be prosecuted as a murder. Jasper was killed on the freeway and caught in the crossfire. Pam Price put out a statement addressed to the local Chinese community because she said that there had been rumors going around, particularly in that community, that she was going to let the shooters off with, you know, little or no punishment. And she says that there's no truth to that. One line in that email that she sent out to the Chinese community sparked some controversy. And that was that she mentioned that her administration was looking at non-carceral forms of accountability. Non-carceral meaning non-involving prison. But, you know, I've read that statement. It certainly did not appear to me that that sentence was a tip of the hand of what she's going to do in the Wu case. It felt more of a general statement to me because that's such a huge part of her administration. We just don't know what she's going to do. There are myriad options. You know, she could change it to a manslaughter case. She could remove the sentence enhancements that are on there now, increasing the possible sentence for the defendants. And we don't know what's going to happen, but people are certainly very concerned. Price is also reopening investigations into eight police shootings or in-custody deaths. A couple of them are more, more than a decade old, and, and she's going to decide whether to file charges. Why is that controversial? Two main reasons I see. One, I've heard a lot of people say this is unfair. These cases were already reviewed by the previous administration and the officers were cleared. And the other reason that people seem to be upset about it is that this is almost seen as the first shot fired in a battle against the police. Supporters of the police, police themselves, I hear, have been very worried about Price and if she's going to be, in their minds, too aggressive. And in these instances, she again did not make a an extensive explanation of why each was reopened. You and I have both been around long enough to know that there are things that people ought to keep back sometimes. But what I hear from a lot of people is without her giving an explanation, then here come people filling in the explanation themselves, you know? And now let's talk about some of the other controversies. In her first few days after taking office, Price began bringing in new employees and transferring others and placed at least seven prosecutors on paid administrative leave. You know, that kind of shuffling typically happens in DA's offices. Brooke Jenkins, the San Francisco DA, did it. So did Chesa Boudin, her predecessor. So did Kamala Harris, for that matter, 20 years ago when she was DA of San Francisco. What's going on here, if anything, that is different. One thing that is different here is there's a union for the Alameda County prosecutors. And the reason that that, that, that is important is, you know, you talk about these things in, in San Francisco, what prior DAs have done, and mostly they've come in and fired people. Now, Price, that's more complicated because Alameda prosecutors unionized. And actually, the reason they unionized was uh, to hear one of the board members tell it was fear of Pamela Price winning the DA's office and firing the quote-unquote maybe traditional or older guard 
prosecutors. So I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Josh, I was at Price's inauguration, and the keynote speaker there was Angela Davis, the, the legendary 1960s, 1970s activist who's lived in Oakland for uh, 50 years and has uh, long been a decarcerationist. She said, she told the audience there, Price is now in a position to teach us the true meaning of safety and security. What are going to be Price's challenges in doing that? The changes that she wants to make, as I spoke about earlier with this idea of the consequences for severe crimes, she's trying to deprogram <laughs> basically this office. She is, you know, trying to change perceptions, trying to change ideas about how we approach public safety and what that entails. You know, there have been attempts throughout the years in Oakland, specifically for police reform going back to the 60s. And I think what a lot of people are saying is we've tried these things, but we've never fully committed. And she wants to fully commit. It, it'd be one thing if this were a small town. It'd be one thing if this weren't a town that were suffering with escalating gun violence re in recent years. It's a huge office. It's a huge county. So, yeah, I think she's got her work cut out for her in many ways. There's already talk of a recall, um, petitions going around. People who support her are getting more and more afraid of that, from what I understand. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. Absolutely. But essentially, she is doing what she ran on. She's behaving as a progressive prosecutor, right? I mean, that's sort of what she ran on. She's certainly doing the things that voters asked for when when they voted for her. And that is, you know, going to be a big part of her defense for sticking this out and fighting against any potential recall is that this was a mandate from the voters. I told them everything I was going to do. Things like eliminating life without parole, death penalty. You know, I, I reported that when she was running and they're coming to fruition just as she said they would. I don't know if she ever said it would be easier without controversy, but... There's certainly plenty of that going around. Josh Sharp, thanks for being on It's All Political on Fifth Admission. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. Thanks to Joshua Sharp for being on the podcast today. You can find his story on Pamela Price at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. I'd like to thank Cecilia Lay and Gary Baca for producing and editing this episode. Thanks for listening to It's All Political on Fifth Admission.